0: to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Cameron and Liverpool Victoria Insurance Company Limited, and the citation for this case is 2019 UKSC 6. And this case that we're looking at this week involves a car accident that is followed by an unusual claim for compensation. The respondent, Ms Cameron, was involved in the accident in question with a Nissan Micra back in May 2013. The driver did not stop or report the accident and seemingly disappeared without a trace, but fortunately Cameron was able to make a note of the registration number. The registered owner was a Mr Hussein, but he refused to name the driver and has since been convicted on that basis. It seemed like there might be some good news when it was discovered that the vehicle was insured by a Mr Bahadur under a policy issued by Liverpool Victoria, but it is actually now believed that this individual is in fact a fictitious person. Thus, the only identifiable person was Mr. Hussein, but he wasn't even insured to drive the car under that policy. The question for Ms. Cameron, therefore, was who exactly should she sue? At first, she went after Mr. Hussein, but then later amended the claim so that Liverpool Victoria were added as the party that should meet any costs or compensation if a finding was made in her favour. Liverpool Victoria defended this by arguing that no judgement should be made against Mr Hussein in the first place, because there is no evidence that he was driving the Nissan Micra. In a counter-move, Ms Cameron then amended her claim once again, so that instead of being against Mr Hussein, it was now against, quote, the person unknown driving the vehicle registration number Y598SPS, end quote. With all of the preliminary moves out of the way, the case went before District Judge Wright, who dismissed Cameron's application. When the case progressed to the Court of Appeal, it was held by a majority that it is feasible to sue a, quote, person unknown if it is necessary to do justice in a particular case. The sticking point between the judges at that stage was the possibility of an alternative claim that could have been made against the Motor Insurers Bureau, or MIB for short and it's worth taking a moment to discuss who the Bureau are and what role they play in this context. Each year, when a driver pays their insurance premiums, around £30 of this goes to the Motor Insurers Bureau. The Bureau is technically a private company, but essentially exists to compensate the victims of road traffic accidents where the driver at fault is either uninsured or cannot be traced. With that in mind, Sir Ross Cranston held that the correct claim was against the MIB, and not, as the majority stated, against the unknown driver. Liverpool Victoria appealed the case to the Supreme Court where a judgment was handed down on the 20th of February. The starting place for the justices was with part six of the Road Traffic Act 1988. Section 145 sets out the basic rule that an insurance policy must cover use of the vehicle by a named driver and then section 151 builds on this by requiring the insurance company to meet any judgments that fall within this description even where the driver who is at fault was uninsured. However, the key to this statutory regime is the existence of a driver. In the ordinary course of events, a victim brings a claim against the driver, the judgment is made against the driver, and the insurer then pays out on that judgment on the driver's behalf. What the victim cannot do is bring a direct claim against the insurer based on the underlying liability of that insurer. Instead, it is expected that where the driver cannot be identified, a claim is brought against the MIB, as we discussed earlier. This is also reflected in a 2003 agreement between the MIB and the government, which operates on the basis that where the driver cannot be identified, a judgment cannot be obtained against the insurer. All of this seems to wrap things up against the claimant in this case, Ms Cameron, but without wanting it to sound too much like we are piling on, it is also worth mentioning what the justices said in relation to the proceedings that are brought against unnamed parties. As a general rule this is not allowed and that is not surprising because a court decision has to be made for or against someone in order for it to be effective. English law is steeped in an adversarial tradition after all. Nevertheless there are three exceptions within the civil procedure rules. Firstly actions for possession against trespassers because this is about a property owner taking back their property and so the identity of the trespassers is only of secondary importance. Secondly, actions against a group of wrongdoers where not all of the parties can be identified. In this situation, the parties that can be identified are taken to represent the entire group, including those unknown individuals. Thirdly, in accordance with the case of Bloomsbury Publishing Group PLC and Newsgroup Newspapers Limited from 2003, an injunction can be effective against unknown parties, so long as the description of those individuals is sufficient to be able to identify who is and who is not affected by the injunction. What we can take from this is that there are basically two types of unnamed defendants, those who are identifiable but their name isn't known and those who are neither identifiable nor is their name known. The distinction is important because where the defendant is at least identifiable in some way, an order of the court can still be an effective tool By way of an example, that Bloomsbury case that we just mentioned was about certain people who were threatening to release the fifth Harry Potter book ahead of its official publication. As we all know, judges hate spoilers, so the injunction was still effective against the anonymous individual who could be identified by their access to an early copy of the book. That is not the case when a defendant is completely anonymous, and it actually goes against the very idea of a fair hearing that a person who has no notice of the proceedings is still subject to the jurisdiction of the court. Bringing all of this background to the present case, there is simply no justification within the exceptions that we highlighted that would allow a claim to be brought against a completely anonymous driver who would have no way of knowing that they are bound by the decision of the district judge. So now we have to answer the question as to whether the court was right to deny this claim against an anonymous defendant. We know that this is possible in certain circumstances, so why not here? The Supreme Court has given its reasons which are based on subjecting a person to the jurisdiction of the courts without their knowledge, but it is difficult to see why this matters when it is ultimately the insurance companies that will end up paying out on the claim. The defendant would not know, but then again they don't really need to know in the grand scheme of things. It would be sufficient to say that a wrong has been committed by an individual in which a claim can be based, and there is a party who, in the ordinary course of events, would pay out on any judgment. Of course there is the principle, and that is not to be ignored, but such a decision would not be that great a leap from the exceptions that already exist with respect to semi-anonymous defendants. That was only part of the reasoning behind this decision, however, and so I think it is still possible to agree with the unanimous decision of the justices overall. If the only option available for Ms Cameron was to go after an anonymous defendant and this was denied, it would be much easier to be critical of a legal system that stands by an archaic principle instead of pursuing natural justice. The Motor Insurers Bureau exists to deal with situations like this and offers recourse to claimants in the same position as Ms Cameron. It is important when dealing with any type of claim, it is the correct person being sued And while that might appear to be more of an administrative mistake on the claim form in this instance, the idea behind this has significant repercussions if the wrong person could be held liable for the wrongs or the duties of someone else. Overall, I think this case is about limiting the scope of claims for better or worse. On the one hand, limiting claims against anonymous defendants is somewhat questionable if it stands in the way of a just outcome to a case, but ensuring that the correct person is being sued is just as if not more, important, and it is essential that the floodgates are not opened in this regard, so as to expose parties to unexpected and unwarranted legal liabilities. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Remember, you can still sign up for my email newsletter by going to uklawweekly.com, and there is a form down the right-hand side, and you'll also get a free ebook when you do sign on, so make sure to check that out. I'll be back with another case next week, but for now, bye!